Part nine of A Guide to the Lakes by Thomas West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lowswater. Proceed from the bridge by High Cross to the Lake of Lowswater. Having passed through a gate that leads to the common, the lake spreads out before you, a mile in length and of equal breadth, about a quarter of a mile. The extremities are rivals in beauty of hanging woods, little groves, and waving enclosures, with farms seated in the sweetest points of view. The south end is overlooked by lofty Melbrick, at whose foot a white house, within some grass enclosures, under a few trees, stands in the point of beauty. The eastern shore is open and indented with small bays. The opposite side is more pleasing. Carling Knot presents a broad pyramidal front of swift ascent, covered with soft vegetation and sprinkled with many aged solitary thorns. On each side the outline waves upward in the finest manner, terminating in a cone of grey rock patched with verdure. This lake, in opposition to all the other lakes and the fall of the mountains, has its course from north to south and under Melbrake falls into the Crummock water. This lake is of no great depth and without char, but it abounds, as all the others do, in fine trout, etc. An evening view of both lakes is from the side of Melbrake, at the gate under the coppice of oak, in the road to Ennerdale. Nothing exceeds in composition the parts of this landscape. They are all great and lie in fine order of perspective. If the view is taken from the round knoll at the lower end of the lake, the appearance of the mountains that bound it is astonishing. Melbrake on the right, and Grasmere on the left, are in the points of distance, on the near foreground of this landscape, and betwixt them a stupendous amphitheatre of mountains, their heads all broken and dissimilar, and of different hues. Their bases are skirted with wood, or clothed with verdure, in the centre point of this amphitheatre is a huge pyramidal broken rock that seems with its figure to change place as you move across the foreground and gives much variety to the scenes and changes the picture at every pace. The picturesque views here are many, the scenes, some mixed, others purely sublime, all surprise and please. The genius of the greatest adepts in landscape might here improve in taste and judgment, and the most enthusiastic ardour for pastoral poetry and painting will here find an inexhaustible source of studies and magical scenes. When the roads to Ennerdale and Westwater are improved, they may be taken in this morning ride. Smith's views of them are the truest likenesses. From the bridge at the foot of the lake, ascend the road to Brackenthwaite. At the Hedge Alehouse, Scale Hill, take a guide to the top of the rock, above Mr. Bertie's woods, and have a view of Crummock Water, entirely new. The River Cocker is seen winding through a beautiful and rich cultivated vale, spreading far to the north, variegated with woods, groves and hanging grounds in every pleasing variety. The most singular object in this vale of Lawton and Brackenthwaite is a high crown-topped rock that divides the vale and raises a broken craggy head over hanging woods that skirt the sloping sides, cut into waving enclosures, varied with groves and patches of coppice wood. 
to the west a part of Lowswater Lake is seen, under a fringe of trees at High Cross. Behind you, awful Grasmere, the skidor of the Vale, frowns in all the majesty of furrowed rock, cut almost perpendicular to the centre by the waterfall of ages. The swell of a cataract is heard, but entirely concealed within the gloomy recess of a rocky dell, formed by the rival mountains, Grasmere and Silverside, whose purple dress is variegated with silver-grey rock. At their feet lie the mighty ruins, brought down from the mountains by the memorable water-spout that deluged all the vale in September 1760. After this, the mountains become humble hills, and terminate the sweet vale that stretches from the feet of Black Crag and Carline Knot, spreading itself into a country watered by the cocker, the ride down the vale is pleasant. All the scenes are smiling, rich and rural. Every Dalelander appears to be a man of taste. Every village, house and cot is placed in the choicest sight and decorated in the finest manner and style of natural elegance. Not one formal avenue or straight-lined hedge or square fish-pond offends the eye in all this charming vale. The variety of situation gives diversity of views, and a succession of pleasing objects creates the desire of seeing. The back view is under a wooded hill near the fifth mile-post, and is fine. Here, return up the great road to Keswick. From Keswick to Penrith, seventeen miles of excellently good road through an open wild country. Antiquities Upon Hutton Moor, and on the north side of the Great Road, may be traced the path of the Roman Road that leads from Old Penrith or Plumpton Wall, in a line almost due west to Keswick. Upon the moor are the traces of a large encampment that the road traverses, and a little beyond the eighth mile-post, on the left, at Whitbarrow, are strong vestiges of a square encampment. The Roman Road beyond that is met in the enclosed fields of Whitbarrow, and is known by the farmers from the opposition they meet with in ploughing across it. After that it is found entire on the common called Greystock Low Moor, and last summer they have formed a new road on the Adger of it. It proceeds in a right line to Greystock Town, where it makes a flexure to the left, and so continues in a line to Blencoe, and is found in a ploughed field, about two hundred yards to the north of Little Blencoe, pointing at Coachgate, and from thence it passes on the north side of Kelbarrow, and through Cow Close, and was discovered in making the new turnpike road from Penrith to Cockermouth, which it crossed near the Tollgate. From thence it stretches over Whitrig in a right line, and is visible on the edge of the wood at Fairbank, and in the lane called Low Street. From thence it points through enclosed land to the south end of the station called Plumpton Wall and Old Penrith. It crossed the brook Peterall at Topin Home. In the year 1772, near Little Blencoe, in removing a heap of stones, two urns were taken up, about two feet and a half high, made of very coarse earth and crusted on both sides with a brown clay, the top remarkably wide and covered with a red flat stone. Besides the ashes and bones, each urn had a small cup within it of a fine clay, in shape of a teacup. One was pierced in the centre of the bottom part, 
the place where they were taken up is called Lodden Howe, within twenty yards of the road between Penrith and Skelton, and about two hundred yards from the Roman road, and four miles from the station. On the banks of the Petterall, a few roods from the south corner of the station, an altar was lately found. Its height, three feet four inches, and near sixteen inches square. It had been thrown down from the upper ground, and the corners broke off in the fall. The front has been filled with an inscription, the letters short and square, but not one word legible. On the right-hand side is the patera, with a handle, and underneath the sesespita. On the opposite side is the ampulla, and from its lip a serpent or viper descends in waves. The back part is rude, as if intended to stand against a wall. The emblems are in excellent preservation. The castrum is 168 paces from south to north, by 110 within the fosse, which was also surrounded with a stone wall. The stones have been removed to the fence wall on the roadside, and being in Plumpton, is called Plumpton Wall. The station is a vast heap of ruins, of stone building, the walls of great thickness and cemented. The town has surrounded the station, except on the side of the Petterall, but whether the station took its name from the river, as being upon its banks, and was called the Petriana, or whether the station gave name to the river, which is the least probable, let him who can determine. The station is twelve miles and three quarters from Carlisle, five and a quarter from Penrith, about seven from Broom Castle, and about eighteen from Keswick, where an intermediate station must have been between Ambleside and Moresby, and between Old Penrith and Moresby, having Caermot between it and Old Carlisle, and Papcastle between it and Moresby. The summer station would be on Castle Hill, and the winter station on the area of the present town of Keswick, or on some convenient place betwixt the conflux of the rivers Greta and Derwent, and it is more probable that the Derventione of the Corographia was here than at Papcastle, which comes better in for the Pampucalia of the same Corographia. A station here would be an efficacious check on any body of the enemy that might cross the estuaries, above or below Boulness, and pass the watch there, and the garrisons at Old Carlisle, Ellenborough, Papcastle and Moresby, for it was impossible for any body of men to proceed to the south but by Borrowdale or Dunmail Rays, and a garrison at Keswick commanded both these passes. The watch at Caermot would give the alarm to that on Castle Crag in the pass of Borrowdale, and the sentinel on Castlehead that overlooks Keswick would communicate the same to the garrison there. So it is apparently impossible that any body of men could pass that way, but if they attempted a route on the northern side of Skiddaw, and over Hutton Moor to Patterdale, the watch at Caermot was in sight, both of old Carlisle and Keswick, and the garrison of the latter might either pursue or give notice to Whitbarrow and Ambleside to meet them in the pass at the head of Patterdale, called Kirkston, which is so steep and narrow and crowded with rocks that a few veteran troops would easily stop the career of a tumultuous crowd, who, falling back upon each other, would increase their destruction in flying down a precipitous pass. If they made good the pass, and turned to the east before the Romans arrived, they would in that case be harassed in the rear, till they arrived at Kendal, 
where the watchmen from Watercrook would be ready to receive them, and then they would be attacked in front and rear. That the Romans have had engagements at Kirkstone Pass is evident from the Roman arms that were lately found in the adjoining moss. There are also many heaps of stones collected, which have the appearance of barrows. These are the only passes amongst the mountains that a body of Caledonians could attempt in their way to the south, and these could not be secured without a station at Keswick, and that could not be more advantageously placed than where the town stands on the meeting of the roads from the surrounding stations, all about an equal distance, and at such a distance as rendered a station here necessary and the several castellums on Castle Crag and Castle Hill and Castellet, useful in giving notice and guarding these important posts. That no vestige is now visible of a station ever being here, nor any notice of it taken by Camden, Horsley and others, nor even a traditional record of its existence, are seeming difficulties which put the negative on what has been advanced. That no vestiges remain, only proves that the place had been defaced at an early period, when no care was taken to preserve the memory of such remains, and that the town occupies the whole area of the station, and that the station had been placed within the site of the town, probably in the lower part, facing the pass of the Greta. In the wheel of the Greta, a meadow peninsulated by the river, just below the town, and called the Goat's Field, there are vestiges of a foss, but too imperfect to draw a conclusion from, in favour of the station. The ground round the town is very fertile, and has been long enough cultivated to destroy any remains. What have been accidentally discovered are gone into oblivion, and no change happening in the town itself to occasion new discoveries. The memory of what has been is fled with time. If Camden visited Keswick, he was satisfied with the then present state of the little town, which King Edward I made a market. The face of the country only drew his attention. That Horsley never visited these parts is evident, from his mistaken account of the road from Plumpton Wall to Keswick, which he says passed through Greystock Park. This had he but seen the face of the country, he could never have imagined. His mistake and Camden's silence give occasion to a regular survey of the said road, and finding the military roads from Papcastle, Ellenborough, Moresby, Ambleside and Plumpton all coincide at Keswick, and for the other reasons already assigned, it appeared evident that the station must be somewhere near. The Castle Hill above Keswick is a faithful record of the existence of a station in this country. Here was the seat of the ancient lords of the manor of Derwentwater, probably raised on the ruins of the Roman fortress but after the heiress of that family was married to Ratcliffe's, the family seat was removed into Northumberland, and the castle went to ruins. And with the stones thereof, the Ratcliffe's built a house of pleasure in one of the islands in Derwent Water. The name Castle Hill, being more ancient than the last erection, is still retained. At Ambleside, when I inquired for the Roman station a few years ago, no one could inform me, but upon one person, considering the description I gave of it, answered, It is the castle. The station at Plumpton is called by the same name, and at Kendal, the castellum that overlooks the station, is also called the Castlesteads. So here, the Castle Hill, is the place of the summer station, 
but being a fruitful tract and much ploughed i have not been able to trace any appearance of a foss or vallum and therefore the whole of this conjecture must rest upon the necessity or at least on the expediency of a station here since the writing of the above in a field below the town an urn with other remains were found by the plough and said to be roman end of part nine